As Aaron introduced me at the beginning, I'm uh, John Nienheis, child of North Holland Reformed Church. Matter of fact, I still remember when the sanctuary was spun and the balcony was over here. So that kind of, those of you who remember that can, can uh, assess the timetable that we're in. But as she introduced, as she said in my introduction, I'm a chaplain with Good News Jail and Prison Ministry and I serve at the Bavard County Jail. And I get the pleasure of going to the jail every day and to share the gospel message with the men and women that are there, both the inmates and the staff. And it's a ministry that's based on the Word of God and the power of, of the Word of God and the promises of the Word of God to change and to transform their lives. Because truthfully, as human beings, yeah, we can work on developing some good habits and we can work on getting rid of some bad habits, but that's only going to go just so far. And it may make us a better person in this world, but it does nothing for our eternal destination. And that's where we get to step in and share the gospel message of Jesus Christ. There was one time teaching a Bible study, and, we, and, we got and, it, and it came up in the discussion. The young man said, Chaplain John, chap, chap, can, you know, I, God won't forgive me. I've walked away from God one too many times. He's just, he's, he just won't take me back. And we just stopped the lesson and just began to speak with him and just bring him to promises of God's word. Promises of God's word. Took him to Luke 15 and very quickly shared the, the prodigal son. Took him to stories of how, uh, where the, the, the Bible teaches us that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Took him to 1 John 1, 9 and just shared how God promises that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And then we got to use, I got to use one of my favorite analogies. I served down uh, in Florida at the Space Coast where they shoot up rockets all the time. So, you know, everybody's, in, you know, they're, they're familiar with that. But there's a passage in Psalms where it says that God removes our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west. And I asked them, how far is that? Oh, well, I don't know. And I say, okay, imagine this. You have a jet airplane, unlimited fuel, and you start flying north. How far north do you have to go before you start flying south? Well, I don't know. I say the North Pole. The minute you hit the North Pole, you're going south. And then I share this truth. Scripture says east to the west. Imagine the same plane, same unlimited fuel, and you hop in and you start flying west. How far do you have to go before you start going east? This is class participation time now, guys. Come on. You don't, exactly. You will never, if you're traveling west, you will never go east. And then the lights come on. And this young man said, you mean God will take me back and he will really forgive me? And I said, absolutely. And tears started coming down his face. Because the reality and the promises of God's word and the promises of forgiveness began to wash over him. That's the ministry I get to be part of. And I thank this church for the foundation that you taught me, that you prepared. As I was thinking of coming here this week, I actually, in my mind, started going through the different Sunday school classrooms below 
and who were my Sunday school teachers? Who were my youth group leaders? Junior, our junior, uh, I, what was it? I can't believe I forgot that now. What do we call the junior high group? Anyways, you know, just all the different groups and, the, and, the, and just how all of you have just poured into my life with the word of God. And I am so thankful for that. I find it exciting that um, Kelly, on the last minute it's filling in for Pam, did a history lesson. Because I want to do a history lesson as well for us for part of my message. There's an American philosopher by the name of George Santania who wrote this. Those who cannot remember the past are what? Doomed to repeat it. So allow me to give you a quick church history lesson. Towards the end of the 1500s and, and going into the 1600s, there's something that took place within the church. It's called the Reformation, and it was and it was uh, it was a upheaval, and it was a, it was a biblical and theological debate. And what came out of that uh, uh, is the Protestant Church, but in particular, a a belief in five things: the five solas. One is sola scriptura. Scripture alone, sola fida, faith alone, sola gratis, uh, grace alone, sola Christos, God or Christ alone, and then sola gloria Deo, for God's glory only, or glory to God alone. That's your history lesson. That's as part of the Reformed tradition, as part of the Reformed church, that is what, that is one of those elements that actually can become, arguably, is one of the bedrock foundations that the Reformed tradition and church is built upon. Those five souls, we stand on those and those alone. But I want, this morning, I want us to focus on sola scriptura, scripture alone. I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to use Wikipedia's definition of sola scriptura. Bible as the sole infallible source of authority for Christian faith and practice. Bible as the sole infallible source of authority. Do you want to know what the Christian faith is? Right here. You want to talk to somebody about the Christian faith? Right here. You want, to, uh, you, want to, you want to know what it's like to practice the Christian faith, to live the Christian faith, to walk the Christian faith? Right here. It is Scripture alone. This is the authority that speaks into our lives. This is the authority and, and the power of the Word of God that builds us up in our times of discouragement and encourages us and builds our faith. Even Paul says in Romans that faith comes from what? Hearing and hearing the Word of God. So even our faith with the Holy Spirit working inside of us and the word of God preached and, te- and taught to us, we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Let me ask you this. This is not participation time, so you don't have to raise your hands. I want you to stop and think for a moment. How much of your view of the world, how you look at things, how you process the information of the world? I want you to be honest with yourselves. Don't raise your hand. How much of that is based upon 
the news channel that you watch, the political party that you're part of, political views, your friends, your, your co-workers, all of these worldly influences have a tendency to slowly, slowly filter into our, into our worldview and into our lives. And we have to be on guard against that. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you don't watch the news. I'm not saying don't vote, don't any of those things. Don't have friends, don't have coworkers. It'd be a really lonely life if you didn't have that. But we must always come back to sola scriptura, that that is the source, that is the authority that forms our worldview. Scripture should be one of those things that we take with us and we carry it with us. Yes, we have, we have smartphones and we can download the, the Bible on there and that's great and we can take it with us. But the Bible needs to become the lenses through which we look at the world around us. John Calvin said that. That scripture needs to be the spectacles that we look at the world and it's through that process, through the spectacles of, of God's word that he pulls together all of the knowledge of God that we've learned and has been shared and taught with us over the years and it brings it into clarity and focus. Sola Scriptura is also the power of God's word to soften the unbeliever's heart. It's also the power of God to encourage and to build up someone who is going through a very difficult time. It is also the power and the authority to call back the wayward son or daughter that has gone their own way. Sola Scriptura the Word of God. I invite you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3 for our, for our passage today. As you do so, I just invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning, and, and as you inspired the writing of your word throughout the generations, so we come to you this morning. We ask for your inspiration in the reading and the hearing of your word. May you speak to us through it. God, we just pray that you remove the spiritual cotton balls from our ears and the, the spiritual blinders from our eyes so that we can truly hear your word and we can truly see your word. And then, Lord, we pray that you will, in that process, speak to our hearts and our minds. And, Lord, I pray, may the words of my lips, the thoughts of my mind, and the meditations of my heart bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. First Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. 
lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, you're for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling at, as, at, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay down until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me for all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we get started in the message, I want you to uh, think of two bookends from our passage. The first one really is two phrases. The first bookend comes from verse 1, where, where it says, The word of the Lord was rare in those days. And then the other part of that is, There was no frequent vision. So we start out with the understanding of, for whatever reason, in God's wisdom and God's knowledge, his word had been rare in, in those days. In other words, he hadn't been speaking to his prophets and through his prophets, and he hadn't been appearing to his people. And the other bookend comes at the tail end of our passage in verse 21, where the author tells us that, the, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by what? The word of the Lord. So at the beginning, we, the, the word of the Lord is rare and the, the, the visions are, are not frequent. And at the end of our passage, the Lord is revealed through and by the word of the Lord. Remember those two bookends as we go through our passage this morning. 
We're gonna, there's two parallel stories here that I want us to take some time to look at. And the first one is Samuel. In verse 1, we read how Samuel is a boy. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And that is significant because it tells us a couple of things. Number one, as a boy, it tells us that his mother, Hannah, who if we would go back to chapter 1, we would read how she was, she was pleading with God to, to give her a child, to give her a son. And in that, she promised that if you give me a son, I will, get, I will dedicate him to you and he will serve in your temple forever. And God answered her prayers. And she was faithful to that promise and presented Samuel. But we also know that as a boy, if, from the Old Testament readings and Jewish culture, he, he was a boy and, and he hadn't become a man yet. Now that's obvious, boy, not man. But in, in, the, in the biblical times, and we don't know exactly where that age is because it seems to be a little different, but throughout the census that took place, M Moses, when he took a census of the people, those who were able to take up arms and fight, they only, they said those who are of age or of certain age. So there's this understanding that, that Samuel was a boy. He had not become a man yet. But I think the author and God's inspiration is, is another thing as well. It's not just physical age, it's spiritual age and spiritual maturity. Because what do we read about Samuel in a couple of, a couple of verses later? In verse 7 of our passage, it says this, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, for the, Lord, for the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Samuel was a child in the faith because he did not know the Lord, because it had not been revealed to him. He was ministering to the Lord under the supervision and the direction of Eli, but he himself did not know the Lord. I want to stop right here for a moment and just celebrate, as I, as I said earlier, I am so thankful, but I want to celebrate this church and, what, and all that you do to pour into the lives of the children and the youth of this, of this congregation, teaching them the Word of God, sharing the Word of God, pointing them to God, pointing them to the cross of Christ. Kelly, I love the lesson that you taught. Yeah, a Greek and a history lesson, but it lays it all out of who Jesus is and, and all that he does for us. Those are the lessons we need to teach our children. Those are the lessons because otherwise they're, they're a boy like Samuel and they don't know the Lord yet. Teach your children and share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus, whether they're young or whether they're old. Share the gospel with your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends, your family members who aren't walking in the Lord. Share the gospel message that in Christ they are forgiven. In Christ they, they, are they can be established in a relationship with, G with their, our Heavenly Father. And that relationship cannot be broken. Yes, we may wander off the path and have to be called back and, and, and have a time of repentance, but it doesn't change our relationship. Here again, history lesson, perseverance of the saints, eternal security. For those who are in Christ, that is locked, signed, sealed, and delivered, and that won't change. Teach your, our children, share the gospel. But if we look at Samuel, I, I even, as I read through this in, in the first call and the second call and the third call and the final call, Samuel must have been confused. I mean, think about this. He's lying down and he hears Samuel. 
He thinks it's Eli. He jumps up. He runs to Eli. He says, here I am. What do you need? What can I help you with? And Eli says, that no, not me. I didn't call. Go back and lie down. So can you imagine what was going through Eli's mind as he was walking back? He goes, I guess I was dreaming that. I guess I, 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 I must have been drifted off to sleep or whatever. I just made that up. And then he lies back down, and all of a sudden he hears a second call, and oh, it's got to be Eli, and he runs back to Eli. He says, Eli, here I am. What do you need? How can I help? Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back. Here again. Now all of a sudden this questioning, this doubt in what's going on builds up even higher. And it happens a third time. And this time Eli goes, wait a minute. It's not me. It's the Lord who's calling you. And he gives Samuel instructions on how to answer. Just that confusion that takes place. But that final call. And in verse 10 it says, And the Lord came and stood calling at other times. Did you see what happened there? Go back to the first bookend. The word of the Lord was rare and no frequent visions. In verse 10, Samuel experiences both of those. In in verse 10, Samuel experiences a reversal, a reversal of the the word of the Lord is rare. He experiences a reversal of the visions are, are not frequent, Samuel gets to partake and receive both of those. It's a spiritual calling, a spiritual awakening that he experiences there. And from that point on, if we follow Samuel's story, we see how he grows in the Lord. Yes, it, it tells us that he grew, and he physically grew. He, he became a man and went through that, the whole Jewish custom of becoming a man, but he grew spiritually and he grew in the Lord. And verse 10, as I always said, it was, it was revealed to him. But if we look at verse 19, if we turn to verse 19, and Samuel grew and the Lord was what? With him. The Lord was walking with him every day. The Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall on the ground. <clears throat> what that phrase tells us is Samuel was speaking the words of the Lord that he had received from the Lord, and he was sharing it with the people. So God would give him a message for the people, and a true sign of a prophet was if you shared a message and it came true, then the message was of the Lord, and you were truly a prophet. And that's what is happening here. It's not that his words just fell out of his mouth and fell on the ground. It's the words that he was sharing were coming true. The word of the Lord was coming through Samuel and speaking to the people of Israel. And Samuel was growing spiritually in the Lord. If we look at verse 20, all of Israel, from, in, from Dan to Beersheba, they recognize that Samuel's growing spiritually. I want to pause here a moment as well. Who in your life do you know and recognize as growing spiritually? Maybe it's one of your children. Maybe it's your grandchildren. Maybe it's a, a, a friend or, or a spouse. Who do you know that you can say, yeah, they're really, God is really working on them? What would it mean for that person if you went up to them and you said, and you acknowledge that and you, and you tell them that and you, you, you tell them what you see, you see, you can see them growing in their faith? What an encouragement that would be if we would start sharing with 
our family and our friends, those that are around us, that we see them growing in their faith. Because that's what was happening here. Of All of Israel was coming, and they acknowledged that, that Samuel was being established as a priest or as the prophet. But it's significant that we understand that because it's also a, it's an encouragement. Keep going, Samuel. Keep going. Keep going. When people see your growth in your faith and they come alongside you and they encourage you and they speak into you, what an encouragement that is. In verse 21 is that last bookend. And the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. We have the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, we have the complete word of God. And it is through the word of God that he speaks to us. It's through the word of God that he reveals himself to us. It's through the word of God that we are encouraged in our soul and in our spirit and in our faith. It's through the word of God. And it is so important that, that we as, as children of God, as, as followers of Christ, stay rooted in the word of God so that it can speak into our lives and that it can encourage us. And it's so important that we spend time studying Scripture, for the, the breadth and the depth. I tell the guys in jail all the time, study the breadth from Genesis to Revelation. What does God's Word say about this? Study it deeply. Dig down, take time. Dig down deep into it. What do the individual words mean? What do you think God is trying to tell you there? Because see, when we do that, when we do the breadth and the depth and, and, and all of that of Scripture, one thing that, that, we, that doesn't happen, that we prevent, and that's called isolating a verse and taking it out of context. How many of you ever heard of this? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Great verse. Awesome verse. It has nothing to do with winning a sports, sporting event. It has nothing to do with getting, passing grades on a test or getting a job or anything like that. See, when we take it out of context, we lose the meaning. When we study the breadth and the depth of Scripture, we keep it in context and we see the richness of God's Word. Sola Scriptura. The other parallel path I want to lift up is Eli. Eli was Samuel's mentor and teacher. What I find interesting is when I thought about it, Eli can teach Samuel how to be a priest. He can tell him, okay, this is what you do, this is when you do it, this is how you do it. He can do all of that stuff. But only God can make Samuel a prophet. It's only when God reveals himself and reveals the word of the Lord to Samuel that he becomes a prophet. But we cannot discount all of the teaching and the mentoring that took place between Eli and Samuel. Here again, folks, we need to be pouring into the lives of the children, of, of those around us, because we never know when God is going to awaken within them that all of a sudden they're going to say, yes, I believe, or yes, I wanna, I'm going to follow God in this area. We need to continue to speak the truth of God's word into their lives. Samuel was Eli's apprentice. Apprentice. I don't know how many of you know this, but there was a time I worked at JR for a while. 
and I worked in the apprentice program. Those of you who can do that, I'm utterly amazed because you're looking at tolerances I can't even comprehend. I'm doing my thumb, going, that's good enough. I learned very quickly that was, it wasn't my giftedness. But it still points to taking somebody, training them up, pouring into them so that they can follow God's calling and leading in their lives. And Eli was that for Samuel. Eli was that. We look at Eli and the, the parallel between Samuel and Eli is actually going in two different directions where Samuel didn't know the Lord, but it was revealed to him. Eli, because of his eyesight, was going in the other direction. In, verse, in, in our passage, to, in verse 2, it describes Eli that whose eyesight had begun to grow dim. Yes, Eli was getting old. Eli, was, his eyesight was, was going bad. What you don't realize is I need reading, reader glasses, but today I didn't take them because I got a giant, I got a giant print Bible, so I don't need to use it because I'm too vain to have my reading glasses up here. The reality is as we get old, things happen. But I think there's something else going on in Eli's life. His eyesight, the dimming of his eyesight, isn't just that he's getting old. The dimming of his eyesight is the effect of the sin in his life. If we go back to chapter 2, we read how Eli's sons were doing despicable things. They were, they were dishonoring God and blaspheming God in what they were doing. And Eli went to him and said, sons, what are you doing? This isn't good. But he didn't stop them. So their sin became his sin, and his spiritual eyesight began to diminish, began to grow dim. Here again, folks, this is why we have to be so careful of what are the outside influences that are coming into our lives. What are the outside influences that are affecting the, the way we look at the world around us? What are the outside influences that are coming into our, our Christian faith and our Christian walk? Because the world will say one thing, but God's word, the word of God, will say something else. And sometimes that is a very, very difficult road to be on. But sola scriptura says no. It's the word of God that is the authority of my faith and of my practice. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So that what? So that we can discern the will of God, the good and the perfect will. You see, if we allow this outside influence, we begin to look like the world, act like the world, smell like the world, all, the, all that stuff of the world. And God's word is clear. We need to be separate. We need to be in the world, but not of the world. We need to smell more like sheep than our shepherd than we do the world. Sola Scriptura is the thing that we grab hold of, is, the, is what guides us. I see the, we see the dullness of Eli's heart. Samuel didn't know the Lord. The word of the Lord hadn't been revealed to him, so we got to give him a break that the first three times when God, he hears God's call, he thinks it's Eli, because he doesn't know any better. But Eli is a priest of the Lord and is a prophet of the Lord. He should know better. And it didn't take him, to, it took him until the third time when all of a sudden he goes, wait a minute, I think it's the Lord who's calling you. See, the dullness of his heart because the effect of the sin dulled him. It began 
to, to uh, cause his eyesight to go dim so that he couldn't see, he couldn't hear. He couldn't sense what God was doing. But just like in the gospel message of Jesus Christ, there is hope. Even in our passage, which you could read that and go, yeah, Samuel's being lifted up, but Eli's being escorted out. Samuel's becoming the prophet, and Eli's household is going to, be, is going to face judgment and destruction by the Lord. You can go, Where, where's the hope? Where's, you know, where's, where's the love? Where's the grace in this? It's right there. In the beginning, in verse 3, when, when the author is describing how where, where Samuel is, is lying down in the temple and what? The lamp of the Lord had not gone out. You see, God had instructed his people way back in Exodus with Moses. He had instructed them to, to build a lamp and to put it in the, in the temple between the, the, the temple and the, the curtain that separated the temple from the Holy of the Holies. He, they were supposed to put that lamp, and from sundown to sunrise, they were supposed to keep that lamp lit the whole time. But that lamp told the people, it was a symbol for them, that the presence of the Lord was still there, the presence of the Lord was with them. So the fact that, that the author of our passage, through God's inspiration, says the lamp of the Lord had not gone out yet, is a glimmer of hope. It is a glimmer of hope for God's people. And no matter, the dark, the, no matter what darkness we're walking through, we have the lamp of the Lord and has not gone out. And, and no, matter, no matter how rare the word of the Lord is, no matter how infrequent the visions of the Lord, all of those outward things that give us encouragement and, and sustain us, we can look to the lamp of the Lord and it's still lit. And there is still hope. There is still hope. Psalm 119, verse 105, maybe many of you have that memorized, says this, the word of the Lord is what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It is a light that helps us to see where we're at, to see clearly. It's a, it's a lamp and a light that helps us see the path that we're on and where we're going so we can see pitfalls, we can see dangers. And as we're walking this faith, this journey of faith and practicing our faith, we begin to realize because the word of the Lord is with us, it's a lamp and a light, we can begin to see those things that are influencing and infiltrating our faith. We can begin to see, wait a minute, I'm starting to look and act way too much like the world. Folks, this is for all, each and every one of us. Because let's be honest, when I ran through that quick list, how many of us, um, this is a show of hands, so class participation time, how many of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, would have to admit that news, politics, hobbies, interest, whatever, infiltrates our faith and affects the way we look at things? Yeah. Each and every one of us have it. But there's hope. But there's hope because the lamp of the Lord has not gone out yet. The lamp of the Lord is still lit and still burning strong. There's still hope because we have Jesus Christ. There's still hope for us because, there's, we, ha because we have Jesus Christ in our lives. There's still hope for the world because Jesus 
is still here. We have the hope of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it says that, G, that he is the life and the, and the life is the light of men and the darkness shall not overcome it. When I was in high school, I can't remember if it was the summer before my junior year or senior year, um, the RCYF went on a mission trip. Guess where? How many of you remember where we always went? Anvil, Kentucky. I see a couple of people, yeah, yeah. And I don't remember if it was on the way down there or on the way back, we stopped at Mammoth Caves. And I remember this still, matter of fact, I use this all the time in in jail ministry, just the light of Christ. And and they took us on a tour of the Mammoth Caves and we went into this big chasm, probably three or four times the size of of the sanctuary. And I forget how many people were packed in there. And the uh, the ranger and the guide was up on a plateau. And they said, okay, Warning, we're going to turn off all the lights. Just prepare you. If you're scared of the dark, grab, grab the hand of the person next to you. They turned off the lights. And after a few seconds, when your eyes adjusted, you literally could not touch t- your hand to your nose and see your hand. That's how dark it was. But then they took one of those glow sticks and cracked it and then threw it in the corner of the room. And within seconds that whole chasm lit up to the point where you could see everybody around you. You could even see the, the ranger at, on the plateau, however far it was. You could see everything clearly by one little glow stick. Folks, there is still hope because Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the light of the world in you. So I don't care what darkness you face, what hardship, what struggle, what tribulation you face, what you're going through. You have the light of the world to guide you, to comfort you. How many of you have ever been out in the dark, in the woods, and you're scared, and all of a sudden you come up and there's a light? That light gives you guidance, but it also gives you hope, and it gives you comfort, gives you peace. That's what Jesus Christ does. The Word of God tells us that 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 is what Jesus does for us. But we also have hope in this world because we have Jesus Christ, and he's the light of the world for the unbelievers in your life, that you can share the truth of God's Word. Because I don't know about you, but I talk to a lot of people, not just at the jail, but in, in general life, that they're going through some really hard times. And how amazing is it that we get to share this with them and we get to help them to understand that this is not just a bunch of words written on a page. It's not just a bunch, of, it's not an ancient document. It's living, it's breathing. Paul says that the God, word of God is, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correction. We get to share this with those people and we get to point them to who Jesus is. But it's only scripture that's going to change their life. I can't do that for them. They can't do it on their own. And that's why sola scriptura, scripture alone. I want to leave you with a couple of things. First of all, like I said, the bookend, the final bookend is by the word of the Lord. That is the only thing that changed Samuel from a boy 
to a man. That is the only thing that changed Samuel from just ministering to the Lord to becoming a prophet of the Lord. It's only, that is the only thing that, that was able, to, that he now knows the Lord. It's by the word of the Lord. And the same is for us. But I want to go back to a question I asked earlier. Who are you mentoring? Who are you pouring into? Teaching them, guiding them, walking with them, encouraging them, supporting them, challenging them in a, in a brother-sisterly love. Who is that? Who are you doing that with? Sola Scriptura, is it enough? You have to ask yourself, do you really believe that, that Scripture and, word, and the Word of God is enough to call back the prodigal child? Is it enough to soften the heart of an unbeliever? Is it enough for you, wherever you are? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know. Maybe, maybe life is good for you right now. Maybe you're going through one of those times where your life and your faith is just, is just shaken to the core. And I'm not just talking about that, that you're having a bad day. I'm talking about that your world is just rocked. That's what Jesus talks about in John chapter 16. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But he says, take heart, for I have overcome this world. He's not just talking about a bad day. He's not, not just talking about you messed up at work or your spouse is mad at you. No, he's talking about your world is so rocked. You're going through such a hardship. You have no idea where to turn. So is sola scriptura enough for you? Join me in prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you and praise you that, um, first of all, you gave it to us. You inspired the writing of it, the telling of it, and you did so so that we can be drawn closer to you so that we can, um, be, we can um, come to know you. Lord, your word is not just some historical document and good information for us to read and to study and to learn. It's actually revealing, you are revealing yourself to us through it. So Lord, I pray, may you just speak to our hearts and reveal the truth of who you are and your truth for our lives. And Lord, I pray, may the words that I've shared, anything that from, from John that has slipped in, may you remove that. But all of the words, that your words from your, from your scriptures and the message that we've shared, may you plant it deep within us, each and every one of us, that you continue to change and transform us into the godly men and women that you want us to become. Lord, we love you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.